Well, it's my pleasure to welcome you to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our midweek service, and um, we want to invite you to go to our webpage at gracewayokc.org, gracewayokc.org. And go to the events tab of our webpage, and then go down, uh, there'll be a drop-down menu, and you can go to newsletter there, and you can uh, keep up with what we're doing. But there's a very important thing on there, and that's our prayer list. So we want you to pray. We need your prayers. God does great things when the people of God will actually get serious uh, about praying and praying for one another. I would encourage you to pray for people that are on the list. But let's not just confine ourselves to uh, physical illness. Nothing wrong with praying for people who are suffering. And we've got some people who are suffering now. Uh, Pray for Brother Steve Elkins. As you know, he went into the hospital for heart surgery, but he had a twisted intestine causing a blockage. And so they had to uh, operate on his abdomen and remove about eight feet of his small intestine, I understand. And uh, then he's been sedated. And as of Tuesday, though, they took him off of the ventilator and he was awake. Now, his blood pressure needs to get stable and his kidneys need to work well to filter out his blood and also his liver. And uh, we're going to trust God that God's going to raise him up. And also with all of the COVID numbers going back up, pray for Eagle Heights Baptist Church. They've had an outbreak there and um, pray for First Baptist Newcastle, they've had an outbreak there. They've had a big outbreak, somewhere around 100. And uh, it's hard to contain those kind of things once they get started. And uh, pray for Chad and Michelle Trench. They have both tested positive for uh, COVID as well. Pray for them as they recover. And continue to pray for people who are battling cancer, like Bob Hooker and Susan Hall and uh, Shamika and Eric, they've uh, had their twins and being able to bring one of them home. And we're looking forward to seeing both of them home. And um, we're thankful for, uh, there is some exciting news that I know of that uh, whenever they're ready to share, we'll uh, be sharing about some uh, uh, expectant babies coming our way. And that's always a good thing. And um, just think about the service on Sunday. Do you really put prayer into that? That's got to be something more than we just show up for. We want to come spiritually alert. And by spiritually alert, uh, I don't just mean ready to receive the message or understand what the preacher says. Not opposed to that, of course. But spiritually alert to be aware of your own sin, to be aware of anything that might be a hindrance in your own life and in the life of your family members, to keep them from hearing and understanding, receiving and acting upon the truth. To think about anything that might keep us from actually worshiping God and glorifying Him. I would also ask you to think about this More than likely on Sunday morning, we're going to have some visitors. They might be in your Sunday school class. They might be 
sitting by you or sitting in the chair you normally use. Don't ever come up to somebody who's a guest and say, well, you know you're sitting in my place. Hey, this is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that owns these seats, not you or not me. And as members of the church, we ought to be willing to stand or sit in the floor in order to accommodate visitors, right? And so don't make a big deal out of that. Don't glare at them. Don't, and for heaven's sake, don't say anything. But welcome them and make them feel like they are, you know, the king of England. And let them know how glad you are to have them here. They may be the elect of God getting ready to be saved. So uh, welcome them and pray about visitors. And pray about people that have burdens, I may be talking to you. You may have to pray about yourself, but some people come into this building so distracted by the burdens that are on their life. And I'm so glad that Jesus is compassionate toward that. He, after all, is the one said, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, right? And he said he would give us rest. Pray about lost people, people that have messed up their lives. You know, sometimes... There may be a person that walks into the church and you might know them and you look and say, what are they doing here? And what you mean by that is, what is a person like that doing here? You know, Jesus told a lot of parables about people who would say that kind of thing. So you might ought to be careful. You're kind of treading on thin ice there. This is absolutely the best place for a sinner to be. This is absolutely the best place for a mess up to come. This is absolutely the best place for somebody that you're suspicious of and you don't trust them and all of that. Well, you want them under the sound of God's word. Well, what if the preacher doesn't preach something that is relevant to them? Do you know that's an irrelevant question? I use that word on purpose. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? hearing the word of God. Did you know that what is preached doesn't have to be a salvation passage for people to be saved and for people to get right with God? In fact, I've been amazed lately. I've heard over the last couple of weeks about some people that had to deal with some things in their life and they said, oh man, that sermon you preached. And I've racked my brain and gone back over my notes. I don't think I said a thing about what their problems were. Here's the dirty, dirty little secret. But the Holy Spirit did. And that's what we want. You see, see, if someone hears me, they can forget all of that and walk away and be unchanged. And they probably will forget about all of that. But if they hear the Holy Spirit speaking through the expounding of God's word, when the Spirit speaks, you can't ignore it. Some of you who are uh, oldsters like me, you remember the E.F. Hutton commercials? And they would show people like at a party or something, and they're all talking and mingling around. And then somebody would lean over and said, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And he says, and the whole room gets quiet and leans in. And the slogan was, when E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. Well, when the Holy Spirit speaks... You can't help but hear it. God doesn't try to say anything. He says it. And when God says it, that person is going to have to deal with what he says. 
They can't be unchanged. They can't be ambivalent. God has spoken. And I would like for you to pray that the Holy Spirit would speak through the entire service to people who need it most. And may, by the grace of God, He bring in those people who need it most. And may He convict us of our pride of thinking that we don't really need it. We're just as desperate as the worst sinner out there. We need to hear from God. And we need Him to speak into our lives the truth of His Word. So uh, pray about that. Pray for nursery workers. Pray for those who uh, play instruments for us. Pray for those who run the sound. We want to be able to hear and understand what is being said. Pray for people who clean the building and get it ready for our use. Pray for those who work in the nursery and take care of our little ones. And uh, all of that is a great, great ministry. And so uh, I invite you to do that. Now let's go to our text. We've been looking in Psalms 46 lately. And even though we don't really know the background or the setting or even the author of this psalm, some of them are labeled, some of them are not, there's still a lot of truth to be gleaned from this. And we're going to be looking at verses 8 and 9 today. And uh, the psalmist says, Come, behold... Kendall picked a good time to go to sleep. Just a second. Come behold the works of the Lord. Well, stop there. There's a comma, so we'll pause. That would be a good thing for all of us to do. And some of us are kind of stuck saying, well, God's not really doing anything. That's not true. That's not true. It's just where you look and what you're looking for, isn't it? Come behold the works of the Lord. We'll pick up the text again. Who has made desolations in the earth. Well, that wasn't what I was expecting. I thought maybe come behold the works of the Lord and maybe there'd be a healing or maybe there'd be a revival or maybe there'd be, you know, that type of thing. Then the psalmist calls us to see the desolation in the earth. Interesting. Verse 9. He makes wars cease, stop, to the end of the earth. In other words, it doesn't matter where it is. Now, to us, we've grown up with the idea of God is everywhere. But in the time that this psalm was written, in the time of the Old Testament, most of the people on earth believed in a multiplicity of gods, polytheism. And they believed that each god had a certain uh, territory, a certain land, a certain race of people that they watched over. That's why sometimes when a Jew was seen, they might say, um, you serve the God of the Hebrews. Because in their minds, you know, that's your God. You've got your God. I've got my God. Everything's cool. Well, notice here that the psalmist wants us to get it into our minds, especially back then, that he makes wars cease where? To the end of the earth. Why? Because he's not just a territorial or racial God. He's not the white man's God. He's not the black man's God. He's not the Jewish man's God. He's not the Asian man's God or anything else. He is God over all of the earth. That's his 
sovereignty, his reign and his rule. And then it says, he breaks the bow. Well, that pretty much makes it useless, doesn't it? You can't shoot an arrow with a broken bow. And he cuts the spear in two. Okay, so how are you going to throw the spear or maybe to understand that as like a javelin? How are you going to do that if it's broken into two pieces? It's going to be off balance. It's not going to have the right weight. And you're not used to, to throwing it like that. And in fact, depending on which end you have, one end doesn't even have the point on it that would do any good. So he breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. And then he does something else. He burns the chariot in the fire. Now, the chariot was like the Old Testament uh, Jeep or Humvee. That's how they transported uh, especially important people uh, into battle. And uh, God says, I'm not only going to break the weapons, but I'm going to burn up their mode of transportation. And it's really, really hard to fight a war if you can't get your army to the war zone. Now, if an army is fighting, and let's say that we've got the National Guard called out here in Oklahoma City, but the truth of the matter is the Canadians are attacking and invading up north on the border, whatever fighting we may do here in Oklahoma City is irrelevant, isn't it? You know, Martin Luther said something, and I'll paraphrase him. He said, unless I'm fighting the battle at the point where the devil is attacking, then I battle in vain. Fighting a battle, fight, trying to fight the, uh, the war overseas without going overseas. And I don't mean by that support groups and those kind of things that make sure the troops overseas have what they need. I'm talking about actually if the battle is in Afghanistan and we've got all of the tanks here in the U.S., well, what good does it do? If all the soldiers are here and we're fighting each other and fighting an imaginary enemy, what good does it do? We've got to get the soldiers where the battle is. And that's uh, kind of in a New Testament sense. That's a little bit of a problem too, isn't it? Because we are called to battle against and wrestle against the demons of hell. And so many times, I think, as Christians now, we're fighting where the devil's not attacking. We're fighting where the demons aren't attacking, and that's a real problem. And we're still trying to fight battles from 30, 40 years ago when the devil's attacking differently now, and we had better put our armor on, and we'd better take up our weapons that are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, and we need to fight with truth all of the lies of the enemy. Because if you haven't noticed, the things we were concerned with back in the 80s have kind of changed. Same issues, but they've kind of changed position. Who would have thought if you go back to when Sammy and I were married in 1984, that there would ever be a time where people couldn't figure out their gender, or they said there's like 85 genders, and who would have believed back then that there would even be an allowance for men to be in a woman's locker room or compete in women's sports or anything like that? I mean, that would have seemed preposterous. We might have snickered at it and made a few jokes, but we had different issues that we were facing back then. 
Well, because we lost some of those battles back then, you can see what the enemy has done. He didn't stop and become static. He's pressing on and taking all the territory he can get. And we better understand what the issues are now. And we had better defend our children, teach our children, fortify our children. And we need to be ready for all of this. You know, when I think about the imagery that's used here, about, you know, the destruction and the breaking of weapons and stuff, kind of reminds me of some of the um, apocalyptic literature and promises. For example, Isaiah 13:9, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger to uh, make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Well, that doesn't sound pleasant, does it? Hosea chapter 5, verse 9. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. And uh, Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 15, that the pride of uh, the city, which would be um, Nineveh, the Assyrian capital, um, this is the exultant city that lives securely, but said in her heart, I am and there is no one else. I am and there is no one else. That sounds vaguely blasphemous, doesn't it? As if the city is taking on deity. Well, that's kind of the way they acted, like they're in control. They've got this whole thing figured out that they are God. And what a desolation she has become. A lair for wild beasts. And everyone who passes by her hisses and makes his fist. And perhaps Psalm 46 is talking about the destruction of Assyria and the destruction of her capital city, Nineveh. Why would that be important? Well, that is the uh, empire that invaded the northern kingdom called Israel. Um, I forgot the date offhand, but uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, remember they were divided under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and uh, the southern kingdom was invaded by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC, and Assyria invaded the northern kingdom sometime before that, okay? And uh, later, God destroyed Assyria and Nineveh, and maybe that's what this psalm is talking about, you know, the destruction and the uh, inability for Assyria to wage war. It also could be that the psalmist is talking about Israel after the Assyrians invaded them. This would have been some time in the past, and maybe it's a reference to what's going to happen or what has happened in the past and the way things were. Um, I don't know. But nonetheless, there are some things I do know, so let's concentrate on them. And that's always a good thing. Whenever you get to the point where you say, I have some things I don't know, then figure them out. Say, well, I can't figure them out. Okay, well, then concentrate on what you do know, and maybe it'll come clear. Number one, God takes full responsibility for this. These words of destruction and things being laid waste, and it, it just sounds horribly 
unpleasant and it sounds cruel and it sounds uh, destructive and lives lost, all of that kind of thing. And yet God is not ashamed of what he has done. He doesn't try to hide what he has done. He doesn't disguise any of it. In fact, he tells us right out front, come behold the works of the Lord. You mean God did this? That's what he says. This is not something that is ascribed to him. I think there are a lot of times today people say that God did something or God told me something. And then uh, what ends up happening? Nothing like what they said. And then they try to blame God on it. God's not responsible for that. But look what he is responsible for. Come behold the works of the Lord. And so these things that are being described here um, after the beginning of the, of the verse are the works of God. So that brings us right in to point number two. Okay? Now, a lot of you know this, but some of this, this is going to blow your mind. God's works are not always positive. God's works are not always positive. Before you say amen to that too quickly, think about how often you think that God really isn't doing anything and really hasn't, quote unquote, shown up unless there's something really good and exciting and joyful happening. Well, that's because you don't understand God. And a lot of people in our culture today don't. They think that all God does is heal people and make people rich, make sure that you get a parking place at the mall, keep you from ever having anything harmful. Well, I would agree those things are fine, but that's not all God is. That's why it's important to not unhitch from the Old Testament. Andy Stanley, very, very prominent preacher now, said that we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. Well, if you do, you're going to miss out on a lot. Because Paul said that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable, 2 Timothy 3.16. That includes the Old Testament. And Jesus said that uh, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you find eternal life, but the Scriptures testify of me. And he goes on to say, down later on, Moses was writing of me. What's that mean? That means the law of God testifies of Christ, doesn't it? And then Paul told us, I think in the book of 1 Corinthians, that all of these things are written for our warning, our admonition. Admonition is not an encouragement or a piece of advice. Admonition is a warning. These things are written as a warning so that we don't become like them because we have a tendency to do so. We're fallen creatures just like the Israelis were in the Old Testament. And so all of this is written for us, but when you read the Old Testament particularly, you'll find that God's works are not always positive. It says here, Come see the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. Well, I thought all God did was build up. I thought all God did was make people happy. Boy, if there is a God, why is there so much evil in the earth and all of those kind of things that come up? Because in our minds, in our depraved human minds, 
There's this idea that if there is a God, he would fix things. If there is a God, he would make everything hunky-dory for us. Well, let me just say, he's going to, but not now. Why doesn't he do it now? I don't know. I don't know. There's something else that he's doing. There are other things that need to happen and some other reasoning behind all of it. But he knows all of those things and the secret things belong to the Lord. So I don't worry about it. But I do know this. He's with me during these dark times and he's with you and he'll carry us through. And we need to believe that the stuff that's happening now that we see in our world and in our country, God may be more involved in it than you think. And I hear some people sometimes that when anything bad happens to them, oh, the demons are after me. Oh, the devil's after me. Maybe not. Jacob, you remember, had a wrestling match that just about killed him, and it wasn't with the devil. It wasn't with a demon. It was with Jesus. So you never know. You might be wrestling against God with the difficulties that come into your life that you're trying to get rid of. The Bible says... In uh, Hosea 6, 1. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us. See that? He has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. Now, I didn't say God is always negative or there's no positive. I just said that everything he does is not positive but I will qualify that by saying, but it is with a positive purpose. God is doing something great, and sometimes he has to tear down in order to build up. Sometimes he has to break in order to heal. Whether it's in your life or our life or in our church or in our society, um, that's what we find in the scripture. And point number three, God is going to, listen to this, enforce peace one day. How do you enforce peace? Well, we really hadn't figured it out. We can come close. Sometimes our military, it's a wonderful, wonderful military with great plans and great weapons. And they go into a place and they conquer it much quicker than everybody thinks. But as somebody said, winning the war is one thing. Winning the peace is a whole other thing. And that's why we've been in Afghanistan for 20 years, right? Winning the war, that's not really the problem. Winning the peace is. How do you enforce peace? People say, well, you can't legislate morality. Now, that's kind of a funny thing because actually we do. When we say you uh, that it's against the law to murder, we are um, legislating morality. This is right and this is wrong. Now, the enforcement of that, that's a different issue. Because that law has been on the books for a long time and people still get murdered, don't they? But God is going to be able to pull it off. He's going to enforce peace. He makes war cease, makes them to the end of the earth. There's coming a day when God's going to say enough. And that is going to be in effect for everybody on the planet. The Prince of Peace has spoken enough and all the wars cease because God is so sovereign, he is going to make sure that they're stopped. And in that time of peace, he's going to do something else. God is going to make 
weapons irrelevant. Guns, bombs, blades of steel, IEDs, nuclear weapons, whatever, they'll have no power. When Jesus is ruling and reigning on earth, there's nothing that can go against him. There's nothing that he doesn't already know. You know, our leaders agonize about terrorism. Where is it going to strike next? I believe it was President George W. Bush said, they only have to be right once in order to strike and do destruction. We have to be right all the time. Well, that's impossible, isn't it? Except for Jesus. And when Jesus is ruling and reigning on the earth, he's going to know everything that's going on. And so weapons of war are going to be irrelevant. The bow's broken, the spear's cut in two, the chariots are burned in the fire. It's not a chariot of fire, it's a chariot burned in the fire in this particular case. This reminds me of a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they all shall beat their swords into plowshares. Instead of being destructive, they're going to be beneficial. Instead of killing, they're going to be used for the giving and sustaining of life by plowing a field. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war. One translation says the tactics of war anymore. But what a day that's going to be. People long for peace. People talk about peace. People have policies for peace. Hey, folks, how are we going to solve the problems of the world and create world peace when we can't even get our families to get along? We have inner turmoil personally all the time. We have interpersonal relationships where we can't get along. And some of the leaders in Washington and other capitals, they're sitting there having infighting with their own people, and yet they're going to do something that's going to bring about world peace? Well, I don't think so. There's never going to be any peace until the Prince of Peace returns. And he will. And so this is a psalm about the sovereignty of God. It's Luther's psalm, remember? The basis for which he wrote, A mighty fortress is our God. And in God's time and in God's way, he is going to fix everything that has been going on on earth that is broken because of Adam's sin and because of the rebellion of the devil and his demons. And he knows when he's going to do it. He knows how he's going to do it. And we've gotten a, gotten a glimpse into what it's going to look like. Even so... Come, Lord Jesus. You say an amen to that? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your prayers. And we'll look forward to seeing you Sunday morning and Sunday night now as we hear Paul Tripp on video talking to us out of uh, Hebrews chapter 11 about faith. And you'll have a great time coming together. And uh, I pray that you will and continue Continue to pray and continue to walk with God. He is in control no matter what it looks like. Jesus is Lord.